Okay. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. It's the Apple Bits XL. Brian Tong here, your host, doing the most for everything good and bad inside the world of Apple. Welcome, everybody. This is episode 182. If you are new to the show, this is the place where we talk about all the latest and greatest, the kind of the big tech news around Apple, and sometimes what's happening outside of that world as well. But if you really want to kind of be on top of the latest scoops every week, this is the show to come to. We've got a lot of talk about all the products that we expect to see coming out this fall. So we'll talk about that. We've got some, uh, I guess, iOS 15 stuff that's interesting and juicy. And uh, I think something that you all are going to be really happy about for those of you that use the Netflix. But before we get to that, let's uh, kind of cover some business, some orders of business, as I like to say. This show is all about you all. So if you want to be a part of it, all you have to do is record a voice memo Send it in, leave your name, where you're from, and what you want to talk about. We have two voice calls this week that we're going to get to, so I keep on kind of prodding you all, and I know you're just waiting for actual real things to talk about, but we got two calls in the show. Also, this show is about you. Patreon.com slash Brian Tong is how you support all my content, but specifically for this podcast, you get early access to content, benefits at different levels, and a completely ad-free version of the show, which means you do not hear any of this. It starts at $2 per month. $5 is like a cup of coffee. $10, $25, and the $100 Platinum Apple level. You all continue to allow me to keep on doing this. So all I can do is say thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, let's uh, just jump into the show and kind of the big stories that are leading the way right now. First of all, if you aren't sure what's coming out because you've heard so many things, I'm going to I'm gonna kind of try and clear this up for you, at least what we expect to see in this fall, and it's going to be, I've said this week after week, it is going to be a crazy, intense, jam-packed season. So we're expecting the new iPhone 13 lineup. We're expecting the new Apple Watch Series 7. We're expecting the third-generation AirPods. We're expecting a new iPad Mini 6, like an all-redesigned new iPad Mini 6. And we're expecting the mini LED MacBook Pros And we might be expecting another iPad as well. And that's all just for this, I guess, fall season towards the end of the year. Plus, you never know what other maybe tricks or goodies that we might be hearing about. But from a product standpoint, that's a whole bunch of stuff. Now, I'm not going to go... Typically, when I talk about the iPhone 13, like I read down a list of all these bullet points, right? The same size, same design, smaller notch, 120 hertz refresh rate. Uh, larger battery, no touch ID in the display, an improved ultra-wide camera lens, sensor shift image stabilization, um, new camera features. I think I got most of it. Yeah. Anyways, that that's kind of what we expect to see. So I'm not going to pretend like, oh, there's new news about it that are big. I always have to chuckle when I see someone say major leaks. I'm like, all the major leaks from the iPhone are out. Like, let's not play this up any more than it is and just call it what it is. We know what it is. So a recent report from Digitimes who's trying to maybe throw a curveball at us. I don't know how much I believe this. They're claiming that Apple is actually planning multiple Apple events in September, which would completely break any strategy that they've done before. Uh, It would, last year we had September, October, and November, so we had an event in each of those three months, which I, even though it was crazy, I at least appreciated it so we could kind of spread out the love. Digitimes is claiming that we're going to see at least, I guess at least, it can't be more than that, two events in September, and I'm like, you sh- y'all really sure about that? Anyways, they're kind of stoking the fire around that idea. Um, I don't know if that's going to really hold true or not. But if you want to stick with, and that would really be kind of closely related to iPhone, Apple Watch, AirPods, um, iPad mini, maybe another iPad. I've got to believe at this point that the MacBook Pro event will be really its own MacBook Pro event. But if we want to talk about the iPhone and kind of some, I'm going to kind of jump around here because I don't want to keep on telling you the same stuff every show. Like, what's the fun in that? But we know that Apple is has this ongoing legal battle with Epic Games about allowing Fortnite um, to kind of 
create their own, I don't want to call it, yeah, I guess their own backdoor to buy a Fortnite V-Bucks, which is the currency used to buy games. And then Apple's like, no, this is not how you play. This violates the terms of our app store because we always get a 30% cut. Fortnite was trying to go around that or Epic Games was. And now, as of today, Epic Games and the Fortnite game is no longer running on iPhone, is no longer running on Android phones. I mean, sure, there are ways to kind of sideload that if you're really determined to. But during this ongoing legal battle, we've kind of learned a few nuggets about what Apple had been thinking or doing. And this is kind of a fun one. In the kind of Apple has to submit documents in regards to this legal battle, but you always kind of find some hidden gems in it. And one of them in one of the sections, it confirmed that back in 2010, if we're talking about the iPhone, Steve Jobs um, put out an email that showed his interest specifically for Apple internally having plans on working on a iPhone Nano, like a miniature version of the iPhone 4. Because remember, once we went iPhone 4, we were starting to get a little bigger displays, a little bigger screens. It was still a one-hand phone. But the fact that Steve Jobs was playing with the idea and he wanted Apple to kind of find its identity here and also because the iPhone was doing so well, it it talked about kind of what Apple's best selling points were and also their uh, quote unquote holy war with Google. You know, only SJ is going to write holy war <laughs> with Google in an email about Google. So there were talks about Apple's product roadmap. You have Greg Joswiak, who's now, um, I believe, the VP of marketing or product marketing for Apple. You have former Apple executive Bob Mansfield, who was uh, one of the heads of hardware, and you'd see him a lot during like the Mac Pro. And actually, he showed up in a lot of Apple's videos. So they were talking about the roadmap, and in these exchange emails that were revealed from the Epic Games legal battle, it said that Jobs noted in the email that for 2011, Apple would want to release a plus version of the iPhone 4 with improved antennas. And this... If you recall, the iPhone 4 had antenna gate happen where if you held the phone and if you squeezed it hard enough, uh, the actual signal bars would reduce down to one or none if you covered like a specific spot. And it was because of how the metal frame was built and how it was allowing that signal to get through. And the answer at the time, if you don't recall, was um, Apple actually gave users who bought the phone um, within a certain window of time, I believe it was like a $30 voucher to buy a case for your phone and there was the joke of like oh you're holding it wrong because i was like oh don't hold it here hold it like this and don't squeeze it so hard and in the end it was all about a case so in this kind of discussion about apple's roadmap and this is again back in kind of the 2010 2011 area uh time frame jobs suggested that okay maybe apple would want to release a plus version of the iphone and remember At the time, even SJ had always preached about like, hey, we only want one phone model. So in these conversations, um, some of the sub bullet points of maybe how they were going to plan out the iPhone, one of them listed um, in quotations, iPhone nano plan, and it had a cost goal and it had renderings for it um, and sub bullet points. And again, at that time, I do remember there were rumors that Apple might do that because phone size were getting bigger, but at the same time, you know, SJ was saying, oh, we only do one phone. So the iPhone Nano, at least in these documents, kind of gets its time to shine and its moment of like, hey, it was actually on the table with proven emails and notes exchanged between SJ and his team. So I only bring that up because I don't want to bring it up at the end of the show. And also it's kind of fun, but iPhone 13, you know, kind of incremental upgrades across the board. And the more that I've thought about this, I've started to feel like the iPhone 13 might be like what the iPhone 11 was for me, because I remember going into that release, I was not all that hot, not all that excited about the iPhone 11 Pro. I honestly was not going to buy it at all. I At the time, um, 
I had just started going indie, so Apple did not provide me any review units. And so I bought the phone, and then once I used the phone, because of its battery life and its camera sensors, it was the uh, triple camera lens, um, I fell in love with that phone. It is one of my favorite phones, iPhones of all time, including the original iPhone, the iPhone 4, I guess I should say the 4S because they at least address the antenna gate a little better. Um, but yeah, I original iPhone, iPhone 4S, and iPhone 11 Pro, and maybe 10 might be in there, but iPhone 11 Pro for sure. Those are arguably three of my most like revered iPhones for me. I don't know about you. I'd, I'd love to hear... You know, everyone has their own favorite iPhone and everyone has a story or maybe a personal connection to it. So if you all want to be a part of it and kind of want to throw in just for fun as we get ramped up for Apple's iPhone event coming sometime in September, call us, record a voice memo, Apple Bit Show. Tell me what I would love to hear. You know, it might take too long. What, if you can do it real quick, your top three iPhones of all time, the models, and a quick note of why. I don't need a three-minute explainer, just like, a little quick bullet point after each one, or if you want to indulge me um, and you have a story about why a specific iPhone model is your favorite, then just keep it around a minute, minute 30. Otherwise, I cannot play it, okay? Applebitsshow at gmail.com. Okay, so we got all the phone stuff out of our system. Let's talk about Apple Watch Series 7. Now, we know a lot about this. Back in May, John Prosser and Ian Zelbo released pretty much full-on polished renders of what the new Apple Watch is going to look like. And I do like its look. I'm starting to, I don't know if I'm getting fatigued from seeing the same kind of iPhone, iPad, flat body, flat edges, rounded corner design, but I do like that it's a consistent design language. But that's the design that we expect to see because a recent leak of Apple Watch Series 7 CAD renders from website 91 Mobiles show us really exactly what we saw back in May. And these CAD designs do offer maybe a little more insight at looking at the actual Apple Watch face where the bezel has a groove that is significantly thinner and we expect the display size to actually get a little larger. We're still gonna get a 40 millimeter and 44 millimeter watch faces. According to the report, the 44 millimeter model of the Series 7 will sport a 1.8-inch display, and that is compared to the current 1.73-inch display of the Apple Watch Series 6. Now look, for me, obviously it's a no-brainer. You get more screen with the same same form factor relatively. That's a win. Uh, the other kind of big changes here is the speakers. There's kind of like two long slots or slits that appear to be speaker grills on the, let's say if I'm looking at the Apple Watch, on the left side of the Apple Watch, right now it currently has like kind of two small notches that lay side by side, but here it's two long slots that are on top of each other, kind of resting vertical like a, I guess like a sandwich that would indicate to me significantly better sound and the sound has gone better, but I would still like the Apple Watch to get a lot louder. So that that's a good indication as well. The Apple Watch bands, are expected to still be the same, have the same support, and good lord, do not change that. Like, don't ever change how those watch bands work, because now I think so many of us have invested in at least a few that have been kind of rolling with the Apple Watch that it would be a damn shame if they no longer were supported. So we're expecting to see the Apple Watch Series 7 announced alongside the iPhone 13 at an event in September. I'd be really surprised if we saw two events in September, but, uh, you know, we'll wait and see. Now, another kind of cool, you got to love the patent space because Patently Apple, which is the website that covers a lot of this, uh, recently revealed a new patent that has been granted to Apple called Hydration Measurement with a Watch. Now, we've heard a lot of reports that it looks like at least kind of some of the big type health sensors that everyone was hoping about, hoping for, if we're talking about blood glucose monitoring will not be appearing in this year's Apple Watch. Um, they have their partner that creates kind of the health sensors that are currently in the Apple Watch that measures the blood oxygen level. That same company is has a new sensor that they're testing out right now to get approval that does things like blood sugar level, alcohol level, um, sweat perspiration. But in this patent that's called hydration measurement with a watch, 
It appears that Apple has developed its own first-of-a-kind hydration sensor designed specifically for the Apple Watch based on this patent filing. Now, a lot of traditional techniques for tracking your hydration, they are normally invasive. They may be more expensive and not the most accurate, but Apple's hydration sensor is going to basically rest again against your skin and take on the form of non-invasive electrodes. So these electrodes would be placed against your skin and then they would measure the concentration of electrolytes in your sweat against your wrist, which in turn then would represent a hydration level for the user. So it's, it's like the electrical properties of your sweat and the electrical conductance based on the amount of electrolytes in your sweat that will give them a measurement. Now, this is still a patent filing. We don't, you know, this this is another ambitious type of patent filing that no matter what, even if you hear about this, it would still have to get approved to be implemented in the Apple Watch. And so don't expect this to come this year. I don't even know if we'll see anything like this next year, but all indications and reports about Apple's kind of jack of all trades, ultimate health sensor seems like, I don't want to say it's too good to be true, but I don't think we'd even we'd see it next year. We won't see it this year, and we may not even see it next year because, or maybe they just allow one new feature to come out that isn't as you know sensational as blood glucose tracking. Ultimately, they're going to get it right, but it might take two or three years until we see anything like that. But they do have a granted patent out for a hydration measurement with a watch specific for their Apple Watch. Now, we do have a couple other Apple Watch uh, stories that are related. Apple has their Apple Watch Edition series, kind of their high-end, their their foofy, their fancy Apple Watch series. And this year, it was titanium for the Series 6. Well, now, that is completely entirely unavailable for purchase on Apple's online store. It used to even be an option that was sold out and out of stock, but they have completely taken down the titanium Apple Watch, at least when I looked for it. And so it's good timing because we've got a new Apple Watch coming, Series 7, but then I don't know how many people were really compelled to buy a titanium Apple Watch. Maybe we don't see it in the Series 7. Maybe there's a comeback. I think what you also have to remember is a few episodes ago, I talked about a patent filing where Apple's been working on trying to create a process on a titanium metal surface to reduce when your fingerprints and oils show up on it, like kind of like a coating or a treatment. And the goal for that is to potentially bring titanium back to the MacBook Pros. Well, we're starting to hear kind of a lot of other reports about how Apple looks like, you know, titanium is gonna be their calling card when it comes to metal. We know right now the Apple Watch has titanium. Uh, the, the Apple card <laughs> is made of titanium. And a report from Digitimes also says that Apple's considering making future iPads now with a titanium alloy chassis design. We've also heard reports that uh, Apple iPhones in 2022 could be made out of titanium. So all signs point to this kind of being Apple's new metal or new toy for all of their products moving forward to kind of also come together with that design language and I think I think it's nice to be consistent. You know, I if it's not going to affect the price, it doesn't matter. And and at least the treatment they did on the titanium for the Apple Watch, although it was so little because it was just around kind of the front bezel, it wasn't even on the it wasn't even on the backside. It had like um I don't want to say a worn but kind of a brushed metal texture to it that I thought was really nice. So uh, look out, world! Titanium's coming. Also. Apple's planning to launch a running variation if you, of its Time to Walk feature. So if you remember or heard of Time to Walk, they basically had celebrities or notable people kind of do a little testimonial about their journey. And it was time so that, you know, it's around 15 to 20 minutes within that range-ish of time where you could go on a walk and listen to someone's personal story uh, like Shawn Mendes, the music artist. I believe Dolly Parton was one. Draymond Green of the Warriors, they they started bringing in a few people to do these, and you know it, it's all right if you want to listen to stuff. I mean, I'd personally just listen to a a great podcast like the Apple Bits XL uh, during my walk, which lasts more than fifteen minutes. 
But um, it looks like they're intending to bring new variations to this time to walk feature, one of them being time to run, and then also audio meditations. And this is set to debut alongside the Apple Watch Series 7, according to Bloomberg's Mark Gurman. And this would be a feature that just adds more value to people that are signed up with Apple Fitness Plus, which I believe is still $9.99 a month or $79 for an entire year. And uh, I haven't, I used it for the first month and I thought it was really great, but I already have a, a Peloton subscription. And so I'm not going to double dip right now, but I still think like the service and the value is really good. And I'm kind of just waiting to see if they amp up Fitness Plus another notch this year. And maybe it encourages me to give it another spin, but I really like, I like the whole platform. I do think that my biggest knock on Fitness Plus is that it's kind of if it's really sterile if you under if you know what i mean like the the fitness instructors are very like i don't i don't want to say cookie cutter they do have some personality but i i feel like they're only allowed to say certain things or come off a certain way and kind of be very very controlled and very you know very apple where, where if they're the product and we know that apple likes to control the product uh they're only going to be able to work within certain round of, amount of parameters i think it's like be positive, uh, don't cuss, um, don't tell like too many stories, just stick to the workout and there it is. But I, I do like appreciate sometimes where you get, if these are people that you're working out with all the time, I, I do appreciate it when it kind of goes off the cuff or you kind of, you know, we're trying to connect. We're we're all people, we like to connect. So I hope that maybe now that they've established themselves over the past year in has it been two years now geez maybe at least a year and a half um maybe they'll kind of like let the reins loose a little bit on the apple fitness plus crew i mean they're great people i've met some of them at the apple tower theater store opening so it's nothing against them i just think that you know you gotta let the dogs out sometimes all right let's talk ipads because these are two there's two products that we're expecting to see sometime this fall. We already know the iPad Pro lineup is out. I think I recently talked about how, you know, unless they do something this year, I do feel like, hmm, I could have held off on the iPad Pro with the M1 in 2021. I, I probably could have. But let's get to what we expect to see, a new iPad Mini 6. We've kind of talked about it a lot already, but... New case molds now really depict very specific features of the iPad Mini 6. So a case mold is, think of it as just like a metal slab with general details, but specific points for a where the camera's going to be, where the button's going to be, where the screen bezel's going to be. And these case molds are used as guidelines from case manufacturers to build and get their products out ahead of time. So pretty much they're ready to roll and they're not late to the market in how do they do that? Well, look, over in Asia, it's a lot easier to kind of get a hold of these things and information is shared a lot more. And although Tim Cook wanted to double down on secrecy, it's not as easy as you think it is. So this new iPad Mini 6 case mold, it depicts a thinner bezel that's consistent around the entire uh, iPad mini screen so very much similar to what we see on the ipad pro or the ipad air a consistent bezel there's going to be no physical home button on the front and then they'll use a touch id power button all these things are kind of like what we expect to see it also looks like there will be a single camera lens and the reports is that it'll sport a a15 processor so making it really the fastest uh, i guess non ipad pro or non-pro iPad that we've seen. It will support the Apple Pencil second generation, just like the iPad Pro and the iPad Air does as well. And screen display size has been kind of rumored between 7.9 inch and 8.5 inch right now. So we'll see, but iPad Mini 6, we're expecting again to also see this this fall. More likely, I, I got to imagine we'd see it with the iPhone announcement, but we'll see. You know, I, people have thrown out, someone had thrown out a iPhone coming, iPhone announcement coming third week of September. And then also the Pro and Pro Max options could potentially get a one terabyte storage. I mean, you're starting to, we're starting to get to the point where people are just kind of throwing stuff out to see what sticks. Last year, if you compared it, 
it was, I believe, October 15th was when the uh, iPhone 12 announcement was made. Now, they're not going to stick to October. They're trying to get back on track to September. So maybe it's, again, that same cycle of third week of the month, and then product comes out maybe in another week after that or or two weeks. It just depends. We, we don't know what the supply chain is like, but September is definitely going to be the target. Now, a new one, pop, a new iPad popped up here. If you remember last year, Apple upgraded its entry-level iPad with an A12 Bionic, and it started at $329. So this is the base model iPad. Well, a new report from Bloomberg says that we're expecting to see for the ninth generation entry-level iPad. Apple will continue with its kind of current design. You're going to have the, the thicker bezels on the top and bottom. It's still going to have a Touch ID home button. But the new updated model will likely feature a faster processor. So you're going to get better performance, better graphics, and then maybe even a slightly thinner form factor, but it will still be the entry-level iPad. And at that price point and the hardware, you got to think you're it's kind of gearing itself towards being in a more of an education device, meaning anyone can buy it, but since it is more affordable, they can roll them out and it won't be as costly to schools uh, who have programs that use that. And we've seen Apple make agreements with school districts before to equip them with iPads for students and for training. I, I still believe, right, Apple really wishes that the iPad could replace the student textbook, but we still aren't there yet. I mean, my nephews and nieces that go to school, they're bringing the the rolling, the kind of the rolling backpacks now because at least at my nephew's middle school, uh, he shout out to Jake. He does. They don't even have lockers there anymore, so they they roll and bring their stuff with them all the time. I'm like, man, no lockers. Like, I don't know. You ever you ever slide notes or like decorate your locker with pictures and stuff like that? Like that was fun. Like no. We're living in a no locker world. Is is this an is this an I don't even know if this is a new thing or a common thing, but actually now that I thought about it, I'm like, dang, that makes me sad because I'll tell you right now, one one Valentine's Day, I put I don't even know how I got her a combination. I think maybe a friend knew and told her. I put a dozen roses in a girl's locker that I really liked. This is when I was a hopeless romantic and I didn't realize like don't do things for girls that don't like you. <laughs> I mean, it sounds cold, but hey, if a girl likes you, she's going to like you. No matter what you do, like the whole roses thing, it's a nice gesture. But if she ain't feeling you, don't waste your time. For those of you listening, I'm going to save you so much hurt, whether it's, you know, a guy or a girl or someone that you are pursuing. If they don't like you, just accept it. Move on. Allocate your time and focus somewhere else, whether it's for yourself or for someone else, or for some hobby, you'll save yourself a lot of wasted time and maybe heartache. (laughs) Wow, did I really get personal like that? I guess I did. Man, some people that are listening to this that might have known me, they're probably going to wonder who it is. I'm going to see if they can guess. Maybe. Maybe they can know who it is. All right, also, um, if you're looking about MacBook Pros, we know so much about them. Thinner body mini LED display, more ports, no touch bar, SD card slot, HDMI port, M1X processor most likely. The latest report is that they will at least arrive before November. And the reason why that's kind of important is because November, I think it was like late November, what would be roughly, not roughly, it would be the two-year anniversary of the previous 16-inch MacBook Pro. That is the current MacBook Pro that I own with a busted screen that I can't get serviced and even prepped to sell because it's my only workhorse machine. Like that is, I need another machine before I sell this machine. But we're expecting to see the new MacBook Pros 14-inch and 16-inch sometime uh, before November. It could be an October event. Maybe they do it in November event. We, No one still has laid it out and really knows when the events are happening yet. It's still too early, still too early. So um, that's why I love the videos. Like, oh, here's every here's everything we know for the September event. We don't we, we don't we don't even have a date yet. Like, let's chill. But we do know a lot. We actually do know way too much. That's why I'm not saying it's going to be the least exciting fall because I think there's still a lot of exciting products. But we just know so much already. All right, if you're looking to the future of the MacBook. 
Maybe this is interesting to you because according to a new patent application, again, found by our friends, Patently Apple, it is titled Deployable Key Mouse. And what is a deployable key mouse that you, you ask? A future MacBook could, this is, seems to be like a big could for me, but a future MacBook could feature a removable key that works as a mouse. Let me repeat that. A future MacBook could feature a removable key that works as a mouse. So like think about you just popping out the chiclet and that like key or maybe corner that pops out could be used like literally as a Bluetooth mouse. Um, The key itself, according to the patent, would contain a position sensor to be used as a pointing device. it would look like a kind of standard looking MacBook scissor, scissor key system. So it would have that tactile ability to press on it and respond. And Apple in the patent describes the system as providing a comfortable, portable, and precise pointer input for a computer input system. Now I'm gonna tell you right now, uh, I'm looking at my keyboard. There's not a single key that I want on here to be my mouse. It's too damn small. I'd rather use the trackpad. That's why we have it now i guess if someone ah, i'm trying to think i'd be like holding my mouse like three little fingers just get a big enough bag and buy a mouse okay but hey i'm not gonna hate on what what if they actually release this one day and um i really love it but it does sound really archaic it sounds like a fun idea that someone came up with like in in the year 2000 and it's finally surfaced because i just don't see it Maybe you do. I don't. Apple seeds the six betas of iOS and iPadOS 15 to developers this week. So there's some kind of little baby improvements across the board. But I think the biggest one is that Apple continues to evolve Safari. And so Safari, you know, now I've talked about it where they're keeping that navigation URL search bar on the bottom. And, you know, Apple, when they first showed this to me, and they kind of asked our asked my thoughts and they've done this with a lot of, um, you know, Apple uh, YouTubers or tech influencers. They, and they're like, oh, what do you think about it? And I said, well, I still have to get used to it. I don't really like it that much. I offered some suggestions. And one of my suggestions was, I know this is kind of not what you want, but are you guys going to offer something maybe like a classic mode, like just the ability to keep the navigation bar at the top? Because I just feel like my mom and other people are going to freak out. This is just way too different for them. And, you know, they've changed how the bottom bar interacts and it is so much better. They've done so much really listening with Safari. And now in the sixth developer beta, they're giving users the option to either keep it at the top or the bottom. So they did basically offer classic mode. Now I'm by no means that I'm saying like, oh, you're welcome. Like that was, that was such a great idea. I'm sure other people did. Uh, but it was one of those things where whenever you kind of suggest an idea of Apple, like, hey, maybe you should keep the old way just because it's still a usable way. You know, I don't know. I didn't think they would actually do it. And now they've, at least in this beta, they could always take it away. They've done it. So I'm like, huh, they are like, they are listening a lot. Um, They also have like the maps includes a new 3D view in select cities. So you can see 3D landmarks and stuff. I think it's actually really cool. Um, they've got AR directions in their maps app, but really the Safari browser has gone through some of the most changes that I've seen during the developmental cycle, but I actually really like what they're doing and how they're being super open to that. Now, the big feature in iOS 15, iPadOS 15 and tvOS 15 that you are not going to get, and I'm this, they were pushing this really hard, but FaceTime share play has been disabled for future beta releases and will not be available to use when the updates initially launch launch this fall. I almost said lunch this fall. Am I getting hungry? Maybe I'm hungry. But in a message to developers, it, w- it sounded more like just the share play feature as a whole. They didn't specify FaceTime share play because if you recall, share play was kind of their big new platform in iOS where, hey, I could listen to music and then instantly share with my friend and we could listen together. We could make playlists. I can share my screen or my mom can share my screen with her and she can kind of ask me what 
is going wrong and what option did she turn off or turn on in printing that makes it impossible to print it or it's like reversed or it's flipped or it's, trust me, y'all been there. But that whole uh, screen sharing share play also is part of the platform. And then FaceTime sharing where you're watching a TV show or a movie together and you could either keep it on your device or toss it up to uh, something running an Apple TV all of that, according to Apple, in a message directly to developers, has been dis- disabled in iOS and iPadOS 15's developer beta 6, and they also say it will be disabled for future use in its initial release this fall. Now, the whole goal is the hope is that it will launch to the public in software updates later this year, so whether that's 15.1 or 15.2, I could see it come at 15.2 because that's typically when uh, they release new emoji. I always wanted to hold that as long as possible just to like, but then people will stop listening. So I can't just hold out for like a few seconds. Anyways, SharePlay, kind of one of the big features and typically a feature gets a little delayed each year. This is the one. So SharePlay, not expected to arrive at least with the first release, official release of iOS 15. All right, uh, just some couple New notes that I talked about in a recent video, which I love, which I love. You know, there's a debate about Netflix, whether they're going to support spatial audio or not, because spatial audio support is basically Dolby Atmos and then trans translated over to Apple's spatial audio feature. Well, Netflix is now officially rolling out support for spatial audio on the iPhone and the iPad based on reports. And a Netflix spokesman also confirmed that to Mac rumors that a rollout is underway. So you may not get this yet, but what it means is if you are running iOS 14 or iOS 15, and it does require either AirPods Pro or AirPods Max. So you have to have um, earbuds or over-the-ear headphones that support spatial audio. You go in your control center and the option to turn spatial audio on will be there, but that gives you a way more immersive feeling. It is like sitting at a portable home theater. It is awesome it is amazing i love spatial audio this is a win and at one point in time netflix made it sound like it was not going to come but they are rolling it out right now so if you haven't gotten it yet or haven't been able to update your app try that check it out and then kind of hold on to your butts and it should be coming soon i know like who doesn't who doesn't like that also another big win as the apple ecosystem keeps on spreading i love this as well i have not fully jumped into Photoshop on the iPad yet. I've used it. I think it's clever, but it's missing a lot of my key tools. Well, Photoshop has released a new big update, including sky replacement feature. I don't know if you've played with that, but the sky replacement feature in Photoshop is kind of bonkers, Um, but it's now available on the iPad version as well. Photoshop on iPad is also getting the healing brush. And this is where maybe there's like a weird imperfection or a cloud or like a freckle or a zit or uh, the piece of dust on your clothing or on this, on, honestly, even on the surface of an iPhone for a still image. Healing Brush is also coming to Photoshop on the iPad. And then you also get Magic Wand, which is that selector tool that can kind of specifically outline objects that you can pull out and create your own layer with it. So I use this with my still images all the time. Magic Wand is coming to Photoshop on iPad as well. This is probably one of the biggest things that have kept me from really going deep and i hope the other selection tools will eventually all be there there's like three or four new selection tools that make it even easier to select different items on a on a photo but at least right now it looks like the initial magic wand is available for photoshop and ipad and then you have a feature called canvas projection which allows you to connect your ipad to an external monitor or tv display via hdmi or USB-C, and it just projects the canvas onto that display full screen without the Photoshop UI. So you can show your documents kind of being edited live while you do the work on your iPad. This is all all here, Photoshop for iPad. And uh, you know, they're starting to bring, it's, it's a slow roll, but as they bring more and more of these tools, whew, if I can start making my stills on the road with Photoshop on iPad, uh, I don't know, that that sounds fun to me. All right, I told you we had calls earlier that we we're going to play in the show. We got two of them, so let's get and jump right into them. Remember, if you want to be a part of the show, call in applebitsshow at gmail.com. Record your voice memo on any platform. You're on your phone, you're on your laptop, you're on Android, wherever you're from, 
send it in. Let's have some fun. But we're going to start off with Joel. He wants to talk about some uh, upgrades. Hey, what's up, BT? This is Joel from Aptos, California. Uh, I had a question. I wanted to get your advice on if I you thought I should upgrade. Right now, I have uh, the 11 Pro iPhone and was wondering if you thought it might be worth the bump up to go to um, an uh, iPhone 13 Pro. So I, I am a big fan of the cameras. I'm hoping for uh, optical image stabilization. Also, my current phone's only got 64 gigs, so I was hoping to upgrade the memory. Um, I would be stoked about more battery life and um, Oh, I guess the 5G antenna might be might be cool. I'm not sure if it's in my area yet or not, but I was wondering what you thought. Thanks. Keep up the great work. All right, Joel. Thanks for calling in. I, I mean, I'm just listening to you, and you sound primed for an upgrade. <laughs> I mean, all the things that you list that are important to you, they are coming to the 13 Pro. So I'm going to say if you have the resources and you're ready to upgrade, I mean, I think that the 64 gig uh, storage capacity would be one of the biggest things that would push me in that direction. And we do expect image stabilization, sensor shift stabilization to come, which does make a difference and it'll be a better camera. And I think you're going to like it. So I would, based on what you're telling me and what I can tell, I, I kind of, I would nudge you to maybe do that upgrade. I mean, I think most of us that were listening are like, ah, this dude's going to upgrade. It's like, Joel, Joel's already going to upgrade. We don't even need to tell him to upgrade. So I, th- I, th- I think you know deep in your heart where you stand. All right, we got Jordan Hunt now calling. He has two things he want to talk about, so I'm going to give him his time, and he's going to say both things. Hey, Brian, it's Jordan from Utah. Um, two quick things for you. First, I bought an Apple Watch Series 5 almost two years ago, and I got Apple Care with it, but I'm not totally sure what Apple Care covers and what it doesn't. I know the battery's starting to fade on it, as well as there's a couple minor scratches and things in the screen. So if AppleCare will cover that, that would be good to know. And then how to do that. Otherwise, what is my AppleCare for? That would be uh, very helpful information. The other thing has to do with the CSAM. I'm grateful that Apple is doing something about CSAM, but I'm not at all thrilled with how they're going about it. I kind of like you alluded to in your podcast, if it's CSAM now, what is it in two years or three years or four years? And I feel like that violates their previous claims on privacy that our phones are completely isolated from what they're doing. I wish that there was a way that they could go about it in a different way that they didn't have to scan our photos before they upload them. I love your show. I'm grateful for it and hope that you continue to do well with your podcast. All right, Jordan. So let's take this This as a two steps, two steer, two tier, two steer. Two-tier question. Okay, first of all, with Apple Care, you're like, ah, oh, what does it cover? So basically, what you're getting when you bought Apple Care for your phone um, is you get two incidents of accidental damage protection every 12 months. And what are two incidents? Well, that's like if your phone screen gets shattered or maybe it gets physically damaged. But the key thing is here is although you did buy the Apple Care, you do have to pay a $69 service fee. So no matter what, like for example, in my phone, uh, it was pretty much really, I was ready to s- kind of flip it and sell it. I actually uh, kind of made sure my screen got a little busted and then I paid the little extra money to then get the phone because it already had some dents in it. And then the phone basically is given to me like a brand new phone and it only cost me, I think for a oh, shoot for the phone, is it like $79? I can't remember. Either way, you pay that service fee and you get a brand new piece of hardware. So if your Apple Watch is kind of beat up and not beat up, and I'm not telling people to beat up their devices, but if you want and you know you're going to use this product long term and there's a few things you're like, eh, I'm not so hot about it. Like I would, you know, maybe accidentally hit it on the side of something and then take it in for Apple Care if you want that fresh new Apple Watch Series 5. So that's what it covers. Uh, it's two incidences for every 12 months. Oh man, am I totally wrong? I believe Apple Care, did they, I know they kind of changed Apple Care Plus a little, but um, how many months do you get? I know initially the regular, uh, sorry, the regular coverage is 90 days of phone support, one year of parts and labor, and then you pay. But I believe, does it extend it to 12 
sorry, to two years of coverage? I believe so. I mean, I honestly, now these days, I blindly buy Apple Care on all my most expensive tech. I even on my laptops. I believe for computers, it's a three-year coverage. Uh, maybe I should just look at next time. I'll like really look at this instead of come up with all these different answers. But I'll tell you right now, on all my mobile devices and my laptop, all my mobile devices, I always buy Apple Care. I mean, it pays for itself if you have one incident. Even on my iMac, I'm gonna get Apple Care for it. It's like this peace of mind that I know, and then. Quite honestly, historically, when you go in for service and you say, I literally buy Apple Care on every single product I buy from you guys, they tend to, I don't want to say be more lenient, but they're more willing to help you because you, you've kind of shown that, okay, this person is invested in the ecosystem and our products. I'm not saying it's fair, but if you bought 10 Apple products and never bought Apple Care on it, and then another person has bought 10 Apple products and always buys Apple Care on it, you got to imagine they're probably going to be a little more lenient or willing to go a little extra for that person who's paying extra on every device for 10 years. That's all I'm saying. So to me, it's like a, it just helps when you have that repair process. All right, now let's talk about Apple and CSAM. So new information again comes up the following week, but this is really kind of interesting because it comes from documents submitted again during the Apple Epic Games trial and really specific to iMessage involving Apple's fraud engineering algorithms and risk head, Eric Friedman. And so in this document submitted, he alludes to the fact, and he doesn't out outright say it, but he talks about and compares Facebook's priorities where Facebook is working on trust and safety, so they have to know a lot a bit, a lot about its users, which is not good in dealing with fake accounts and other elements. They try to like eliminate the fake accounts and try and make sure that everyone is a authentic user. But by doing that, they're asking for like all their all of our information and really using it to their fullest. Where Apple is kind of like the exact opposite because they're all about locking down privacy on the device that you have. Now, during these notes from the documents, Apple's Apple fraud engineering algorithms and risk head, Eric Freeman, says that our properties are the inverse compared to Facebook, which is also why we are the greatest platform for distributing child porn. And he wrote this in these documents that were submitted. Um and what that means is clearly you can tell that this was an issue that Apple knew about because they are so locked down that people can get away with distributing and using it for the wrong reasons and not and Apple's if if someone's distributing tons of CSAM material and Apple's like, "Oh, we can't do anything about it." Well, they kind of can. So I think in a way Apple knows it is a huge issue on their platform. They've outright kind of said it in this revelation from these documents submitted during the Epic Game trial. And they were trying to get ahead of it and try and stop it before you hear this label that Apple is a sprawling platform for child pornography. Because that's not what the story that they want to hear. And I will say also, Apple has always worked in the best interest for the privacy. Like, I don't think they're, they've never approached this with bad intentions. They've always approached this with good intentions. So I think that they know it's an issue on their platform. And that's why they were trying to get ahead of it. And although we don't like the methods for how they want to scan for CSAM, that's child sexual abuse material on our products. And then once they're uploaded to the iCloud or whatnot, or once uh, enough warnings show up, then our information is then given. And then who, who knows which authorities actually get a hold of it and then what they do after that step. But it has changed the conversation of privacy because of that. Before, everything we did on our phone, like they did with that Vegas CES campaign, what happens on your phone stays on your phone. That's just not the case anymore with these new CCM tools that they're introducing. So um, I think Apple's going to move forward with them. I don't know how we'll see how other agencies and how much you know mainstream negative press they get about this. Uh, because I think it is really, really tough spot because they have all the best intentions, but it opens up the door for us to be vulnerable down the road or even compromised 
because the the CSAM tool they use can be totally used for all different types of things if governments or pressure is put on them to like, hey, uh, something maybe something happens, uh, you know, we don't want it to happen terrorism-wise or whatnot, and then all of a sudden it's like, nope, we, we want access to everything, and now that they've built this backdoor, they can use that. You know, they that is kind of makes us and Apple vulnerable to being, you know, pressured to give access of more things that we want. Where right now, at this moment, there is no backdoor at all. So we'll see how it plays out. It's going to be interesting. I mean, privacy is paramount, and it's one of the temples they've built their trust and foundation on with consumers now in the digital age. And that's going to change if this happens. So obviously more to come there. All right, everybody, that is going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for hanging out again. If you want to be a part of it, all you got to do is call in applebitshow at gmail.com. Also, we got to give a huge shout out to our Patreon supporters at the Platinum Apple level, Brandon Ledford, Gil Cabrera, Wesley Frater, Jarrett Lewis, and Atari Koenigsegg. That's the $100 level. You all are amazing, but thank you to everyone who continues to support my work and allow me to keep on doing this. The fall is coming. Trust me, I know if you felt like it's been a lull, I've felt like it's kind of been a little bit of a lull, but I keep on pumping out content for you. Also, um, if you're kind of curious, we talk about Apple glasses here. I did some work specifically with Qualcomm and I did an in-depth interview. It's like 20 minutes with the VPR and head of AR and VR at Qualcomm because a lot of the topics and the things that we talk about in that conversation are specifically relevant to what's going on in the AR and VR space and also might give you some indications of, okay, if this is what the industry is thinking of and dealing with, well, Apple's also thinking and dealing with the same things. And this idea of super low profile, regular glasses being ready for AR, we are a long ways away from that. But we also talk about a lot of different use cases and what's emerging and where it could go in the future. So I would say check it out. The videos are on my YouTube channel and uh, it's just kind of fun for all us geeks and nerds that love that tech because we all love that tech. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for hanging out. We'll talk to you next time, next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. It's the Apple Bits XL, baby. Peace. Peace.